This is a special Sunday for many reasons. Uh, we're going to take communion together. And so that was going to be, you know, the majority of the service. But I really felt like uh, uh, God put a, a little message on my heart that I just want to share briefly before we take communion together. And so I think at this time of year, we, we all kind of reflect in some way, shape, or form. You know, when we roll over into a new year, uh, you know, some people hire coaches or accountants, right? You start counting things. Money, uh, you start looking at where your time went. You look at your calendar uh, to see how many vacations did you take? How much time did you have off? How much time were you at work? And so we start reflecting over our lives and we kind of take an inventory of three of the most important things that we have. Our time, our talent, which you're good at, your gifts, and then treasure, right? The, the resources that God has placed in your life. And some people take weeks to do this. I, I'm, I'm a big fan of John Maxwell. Many of you may know him. He's a really awesome uh, leadership guru. He was a pastor as well for a long time. But he'll take a full week and do that. He'll take his whole calendar. He'll dig into, okay, uh, where did I spend the most time, people, places, and things. But then he'll ask the question, who do I need to spend more time with this year? Right? Who do I need to spend less time with this year kind of thing? And so I think everybody does that, even if it's just for a few minutes. I'm sure you've looked back on your, on your life or this year and thought, okay, let's see, like started measuring some things. And typically, for, for me, it's always externals, things that you can count. It's, okay, how much money did I make and how, how, how much did I spend? That's a, probably a good place to start. Um, how much time did I, did I put in at work? How much time was I with family? You know, uh, where, where did the peak, my best time go? You know, for me, it's kind of in the mornings. So where am I spending that time at? And so you're looking back, you're evaluating things that are usually tangible, things that you can count, things that you can see. But I think there's another way that we can do that, do this. It's probably more important. And it's looking at the things that maybe you, you can't see. And so say you made the most money you've ever made this year, and that's awesome, but you slept the least amount you've ever slept this year, right, or last year. Or, or you, 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 you hit these massive goals and you bought that house, but you haven't had a good night's rest in it because the bank's knocking on the door and sending letters, right? And, and so there's a, there's a trade-off there, and oftentimes we gauge our year based on how well we did on the outside. In 2020, which was a crazy year, right, everybody had a crazy year. If you were to measure that year based on just just externals, it was a pretty bad year for, for the church. I'll just be honest, right? Uh, it, you know, we measure what's important here, and people are important. And so we, we measure who's coming to church and who's worshiping here. And, and you probably know that 2020, we, uh, you know, you couldn't measure. There was nobody here, <laughs> like, for eight weeks. And so if you go back and you look at that year, it's like, okay, we started over. Many of you may own businesses or are small business owners or you worked for a company that closed down and you're probably thinking at some point in that year, am I going to have a job? Is there going to be something to come back to? It was wild. And so on the outside, if you looked at numbers only, that year we basically started back from the beginning. When we started the church in 2017, we, we were, you know, had less attendance when we came back in person than we did when we began the church. And on the outside, it was, it was discouraging. But what was actually happening, when I look at it from things that aren't measurable, you know, we invested a lot of money in cameras and online. And then we found out, wow, there's like not only hundreds, there were thousands of people watching the, the recorded services. But I'm going to be honest with you. You know, that year, 
for when, when everything kind of went away and there was nothing we could measure, nothing we could do, it was kind of the best two months of, of my life in a lot of ways. And, I, and, and I'm incredibly introverted, so some of you are probably like it was the worst two months of your life. But I got up and my big decision was, what, what am I going to do outside today? You know, am I going to go fishing with my family? You know, are we going to go for a hike? Like, like, I mean, it was two weeks of no schedules. Some of you maybe thrive on schedules. I, you know, I'm more of a, like, I, I kind of run out of words some days. You know, I've kind of hit a limit about, and so I'm not a real extroverted person. But for me, and I look back at 2020 on the outside measuring things, it was not a good year. You know, numbers were down, things were down, but my, but my mental health, I felt like, got a lot better. And I found out that a lot of what I was filling my calendar up with, I didn't really need. Anybody else? That there was stuff I was doing that was taking a lot of time and energy that were just not necessary. Even as a church, we found that out. We were doing all kinds of stuff that we, we now know that we were just doing it to do it. One question you know, that was asked is, where am I manufacturing energy? Where am I having to make myself do something here? And when all that went away, I found out real quick where I was manufacturing energy, maybe doing things that God wasn't calling me to do. So this morning, I want to focus on two things, really. There's these two individuals that you probably know. I read an article last year, and, and I haven't been able to stop thinking about it. And Warren Buffett and Nick Saban. Okay, they have one thing in common. Some of you really love Nick Saban. Some of you hate Nick Saban. All right, I know. There's like no middle ground. He's either the man, you got a picture of him in your house, or you're like, man, I, you know, I can't stand this guy. And, and then Warren Buffett, you're like, these are two outstanding leaders in their field, right? One, one guy's finance, one guy's football. You know, one, one dude's worth, I think, he's, I think Warren Buffett's around $100 billion. He's done, you know, so he's a pretty good investor. And then Nick Saban's got seven national titles. And they have this one thing in common, that they live their life based on what they call an inner scorecard. An inner scorecard. Nick Saban calls it the inner scoreboard. So if you've watched any of his, you know, his press briefings and he talks about how he trains his players, he trains them not to look at the outer scoreboard, don't look at the points, look at the inner scoreboard. And so Warren Buffett, same exact thing, but he calls it a scorecard. And so there's things that they're looking, like, looking at inside of them where they're measuring progress that's not tangible. It's not stuff that you can measure on the outside. It's, 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 it's not things that you can stack up or count, but it's an inner scorecard. And so I want to, you know, I want to read a few verses to you, and you're like, what does it have to do with communion? Help me, just hang on a second. I think I'm going to try to connect the dots here. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11, Paul's writing to the church in Corinth, and, and he's, he's trying to give them, again, like some, some kind of a play-by-play -play on how communion should go. Because in that day, communion was not like it is today. Um, it was very, it was, it was over a meal. So the church would come together, and if you were a part of Upper Room when we first began from like 2012 to 2017, we met on Thursdays, and we met around a meal, and it was awesome. It was, I think, what was a real special part of how the, the culture began to form of Upper Room Church, and it was the same way in the, in the New Testament church. There wasn't wafers, like gluten-free wafers or little tiny shot cups of grape juice like you got in your, in your pews this morning. It was they sat down and they were eating a meal together, just like in the upper room when we have the first, the first 
communion service. And at some point in the meal, Jesus took a piece of bread and he took the cup and he said, this is the cup of my blood. Here's the, the bread. This is my body. And so they were eating a meal. And Paul had to write to the Corinthian church in chapter 11 because some of the folks were coming and they were eating everything and drinking all the wine and people were leaving hungry and other people were leaving drunk. And that's exactly what he says. He's like, don't you have houses to get drunk in? He's like, you're coming to church and I'm going to just, it's right there in the Bible. I'm not making this up. And so we're not going to read those verses, but right there in, in 1 Corinthians 11, he's like, you've got houses to have your feast and to drink all the wine you want to drink. He's like, but when you come together here, there's, there's something else about this meal. This isn't just a meal. They, they just took it for granted. I think routine is something that we can slip into. And so it was just, a, you know, they just started taking it for granted. And this is what he writes. We're going to read these verses together. We'll start in, let's start in verse 23. For I received from the Lord what I also passed to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, he took the bread. When he had given thanks, he broke it. And said, Get, and, and said this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This is the cup in the new covenant. This is my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Therefore, look at verse 27. Whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and the blood of Christ. And this is what I want you to zone in on, verse 28. A man ought to examine himself before he eats the bread and he drinks the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without recognizing the body of the Lord eats and drinks judgment unto himself. And he goes on and he says, this is why some of you are sick and weak. Number you have fallen asleep. Again, verse 30. Here we go, 34, he says it again. If we judge ourselves, we would not come under judgment. But when you're judged by the Lord, we are being disciplined so that we will not be condemned with the world. So that, that word, examine yourself, what is he saying there? Well, I don't believe he's talking about going and getting a, like a DOT physical or going to a doctor, right? Everybody, you've been to it, you've had an exam, I, had my, I got my class A when I was 21, and so in order to keep my class A, to drive the big, those big trucks, I used to drive big trucks, and I prayed for everybody else on the road, okay? Because <laughs> it, uh, it, was, it was a crazy time. But the day I turned 21, I worked at Pepsi, and they sent me down and said, all right, you, they did the testing there. I could barely drive them, but I passed because they needed somebody on the truck that day. And uh, God kept me safe and everybody else. But anyways, every year, if you, have that, if you have a Class A, you have to go get a physical. And so they're checking everything, your eyesight, your hearing, your, you know, they do it all, you know, blood pressure, right? all this stuff. Well, that is not what Paul's talking about here. Examine yourself. He's not saying giving yourself a physical exam. He's saying, I want you to look on the inside. This is an inner scorecard he's talking about. How are you doing on the inside? That word examine means to test, to prove, or to scrutinize. And I think every person has an inner scorecard of some sort. You're measuring yourself. How do you measure progress? How do you measure if I had a good year or a bad year? Some people call it values or a belief system 
or a conscience. Like we, we have this inner voice, this inner scorecard that we're measuring our progress and things like that. And so this, this examining yourself, he's saying before you take communion, you should do that. And I think we should, we should be our own worst critic. We, we should be looking at our lives intently, evaluating things, evaluating the years, evaluating where our time's going, evaluating and measuring and progress. And, and so I want to just give you three questions before we take communion together that I think will help with our inner scorecard as a Christian. And I think the first question that we, we have to ask ourselves is, is, what are my core beliefs? Because the Christian faith is under attack in a lot of ways. Whether you've realized it or not, it's, it's crazy what's kind of happening in our, in our culture. And we've talked about that some last year, but, but there's, there's a lot that is going against a person saying, I believe in this book right here. You, you, I mean, it used to be you were the majority in this country. If you, this, was, this is what I believe. This is, this is my true north, right? I didn't create my own true north. I didn't borrow it out of somebody else's playbook. Here is my true north. When it comes down to living my life, how I'm going to make decisions, I'm going to try to go to this book, and, and this is my, my core beliefs. But say you're not a Christian, right? So how do we operate? Like we, it's out of what we value. We, we live our life based out of what we value. We operate out of what we value. So what do, what do I value in life? One way to maybe determine that is if your house burned down, what are you grabbing when you run out? Pictures, your laptop maybe, your Bible, hopefully. <laughs> I don't know. Or maybe you got your Bible on your phone, I don't know. And so all of those things, if you ask yourself that question, if my house is on fire, what am I going in to save? I would say the first thing you're going to want to make sure is all the people are out, I hope, and animals. Anybody got some animal lovers in here, right? You want to make sure the cat's okay and the dog. If you got chickens, birds, you know, you, your animals are okay. So, so, you're, you, so you realize really quick what you value when you ask yourself that question. But then there's other things. Photos are connected to people. Your laptop may be your work. You really value your work. You want to do good work, and that's a good thing. And so what are, what are my core beliefs? Because Proverbs 23, verse 7 says it like this. Out of, out of a man's heart, as a man thinketh, so is he. And, and a lot of times we, we try to change the exterior, right? We're making resolutions. We do it. I do it. I think most people, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to change something about the outside of my life, or I want to do this, or I want to do that. But, but we're seeing that the, the Bible says that, that it's inside out kind of thing. And what we value in our core beliefs and who we are on the inside is what determines what we do on the outside. One way I've heard it said, and it's easier to remember, is that belief drives behavior. What I believe about myself, what I believe about this book, what I believe about the world around me is going to determine how I act. And you can try to will yourself into something new or will yourself into a new life or will yourself into some kind of resolution. But the, the best way to do that is to stop and determine, okay, can I see myself healthy in 2023? Can I, can I see myself out of debt? Right? Can, can I see myself closer to God than I've ever been in 2023? Because I think the enemy's workshop is, his, is lies. Jesus called him the father of lies. 
And you look at the very beginning in Genesis, he slithered in the garden and he told lies. He doesn't have any new tricks. That's all he's got. He just puts a different coat of chocolate on it, right? And, and I'm finding in my life and in most people's life, what keeps us from progress is not that we're not working hard enough, is that we've got some kind of limiting belief in our life, a limiting belief that I don't believe I can, I don't think I'll ever be healthy. I've been sick the last 10 years. My dad was sick. His granddad was sick. His great-great-granddad was sick. And so this is just the way it's going to be, limiting belief. My parents were in debt, their parents were in debt, filed for bankruptcy, and I'm pretty sure their parents were in debt too, and so I'm just going to always have to live this way because I just inherited it. It's the way I am, limiting belief. I don't think I have enough resources or time or people to step out and start that business or to go after that dream. I got nobody to help me. I'm on my own. Have you ever heard these things? Limiting beliefs. This is the way it's always been, so this is the way it's always going to be. Limiting beliefs. And so maybe before we jump into resolutions, can you stop and pause and think about some limiting beliefs in your life that don't line up with this book right here? Because God's word says you're a new creation in Christ. I don't care what your DNA says, right, or your family history tells you. I mean, you can find out a lot about yourself there, and I'm not saying that just to throw that out the window. But when we come to Christ, it says we're given a brand-new start, that, that we don't have to inherit in generational curses. And just because granddad was an alcoholic doesn't mean you got to be an alcoholic. Or just because you've seen that growing up and you just felt like that's how it's always going to be doesn't mean that you got to believe that about yourself. I'm preaching better than y'all are shouting right now. I'm going to amen myself, okay? That, was, that wasn't even in my notes. But, but belief, <laughs> belief drives behavior. And this is what I know. You'll never outwork a limiting belief about yourself. Get all the coaches, join 15 gyms. If you don't believe you can do it, that's why Jesus starts with belief. He starts with faith. He starts on the inside. If you will just believe. Now, it doesn't end there. There's going to be some hard work connected to it, and I'm sure there's some goals, and there's going to be some, some sweat equity that's put into it, but you've got to start on the inside. I want you to become an assassin of unbelief this year. When a thought hits your mind and you know it's not from God or you start believing something that doesn't line up with this book, put horns on it because it's the enemy, Right? And he's trying to sow things into your mind to get you to go back or to get you to step up or to trip up. And so put horns on it. Any time that you, and, and, and oftentimes it just takes the Holy Spirit revealing these things in our life because we don't know we believe it. Because we're just, you know, once you believe a lie for so long, it becomes your truth. Everybody's talking about their truth nowadays. Well, that's great, but I want it to line up with this truth. And the more of this truth that I can get in my mind, the more I'm going to be able to identify when it's a half-truth, when it's not God, it's, it's the enemy. It's not, like that. God is not telling you that. God is not telling you that you're going to have to always be that way because that's the way it's just always, you know, that's just the way it is, the kind of thing. Like, there is a way to get better. There is, there is a path to healing that doesn't in, involve what the world tells you you need to do, that God is able to do exceedingly abundantly come on somebody above all that we ask or think and, and sometimes we just it, it, we got to get it deep down inside of our souls 
The second question, so, so what are my core beliefs? Never been a more important time than to define those. What, what do I really believe about, about this book here in the world and myself? And then the second thing is, is how, how do I define success? Like what, how, what is a touchdown for me in my life? What does that look like? I mean, I don't think anyone starts out in life and, and wants, to, wants to fail. Nobody, nobody, you know, fifth, you know, ask a first grade class, what do you want to be when you grow up? I want to be a failure. Uh, you know, like, like no, nobody does that. And, and everybody wants to get better. Everybody wants to be successful. But I'm, I'm seeing in my life that I have a tendency to confuse success with the rewards of success. A resolution is the, usually the reward of success. I'm going to lose 20 pounds. I'm going to get a six pack, right? Or, or, or like abs, not beer, abs. You know what I'm saying? I'm going to get, that's pretty easy. I can help you with that one. There's all, I mean, it's very, like, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm going to, whatever, I'm going to eat better and feel better. Like, so, so that, that's a resolution is the reward of, of, of success. But you can't confuse the two because there's the routine of success. The routine of success. The rewards of success look something like this. I'm going to lose weight, save 100 grand or whatever, get out of debt, get the promotion, buy the house. I'm going to get closer to God. That's the rewards of success. The routines of success sound like this. I'm going to sweat every day. I'm going to save 20% of my income every day. If I make $10, $2 is going in the bank. I'm going to do 10 setups a day. I'm going to start my day every morning with prayer and Bible reading. So the routines of success oftentimes don't have a reward. Because you may get up and do, try to do 10 setups tomorrow and be like, man, I'm really out of shape. You know what I'm saying? Or you, or you, may, you may try to get up and, and get in the word and, okay, I'm going to start my morning off in scripture. And then, you know, somebody cuts you off in traffic and it ends up, there's no reward to it. You don't feel good about it. You just get up and you read, and it's like, man, I don't, I didn't get nothing out of this. But if you can stick with the routines of success long enough, the rewards will come. And if you just connect how you're doing with the rewards of success, you're setting up yourself for discouragement every day. I still haven't bought that house. Still in debt. Didn't get in the Bible this morning. I woke up and the kids needed me and I had to go and I got out. What you want to do is connect how well you're doing to the routine of successes. So like every day you get up and show up for duty is a good day, right? Every day that you get up and you get and you do what you do during the week, every day that you get up and you read that Bible, whether it's in Greek and you didn't understand any of it, go ahead and check it off as a today was a good day. Right? Every week that you make it to church and you're here, you're here today. So, so maybe that's your goal. I want to get closer to God in 2023. Well, you made a great start for that today. You're here. And so every day you show up to church, even if it's 30 minutes late and you fought all the way here with your spouse, okay? And you about threw the kids out the car. That's how you made it. And then you get here and the sermon stinks. You know what I mean? Like you know, you're driving home and you're like, I'll give it about a three. And they didn't sing any of the songs I liked. But hey, guess what? There's no rewards, but you, you checked the box. You showed up. The routine of success. I've heard it said like this. Who's going to win more triathlons? The person that's in love with winning or the person that's in love with running? 
the routines, the routines of success. Galatians says it like this. Let's, don't become weary in the routine of success. Don't become weary in doing good. Why? Because eventually you're going to reap a harvest if you don't give up. And so success, how I define success, is remaining faithful to the path that God has laid out for me. That's success. Just remaining faithful. Every day that you get up and you're serving God and you're listening for his voice and you're following him and you're walking with him is a good day. Is it always going to be a rewarding day? Probably not. Is there going to be some tough days? Probably. Is there going to be some days of suffering? Probably. Is there going to be some days where you take like three steps back and you're on your way to this goal where God's called you to? Probably. But if you can remain faithful to the path that God has laid out for you, not my path, not your neighbor's path, not your spouse's path, but your path, because it's unique for every person. That's why I think Paul said, examine yourself, not your neighbor's life, not your wife's life or your husband's life or your kid's life. He says, no, when you come to this table it's, and we're about to take communion, Come up here and play the piano so they think I'm closing. But when you come to this table, he's saying, don't look around. Look inside and look up. And here's the last one. And I think this is what Paul's really trying to tell us here about this communion meal. Because they just, they were taking it for granted again. He, he gives the reasons why he's correcting them here. It was just another meal. Some of them were drinking too much wine, taking all the food. It was just, there was nothing sacred about it anymore. They weren't pausing to do this right here. How am I doing on the inside? How am I doing on the inside? I don't care how much money you got in the bank, how many houses you have, or how many cars you own. We, we love to connect success with what we have or what we do. I don't care what your title is. I'm glad that you got it, but how are you doing on the inside? How is your mental health? John Wesley would, would say this, how is your soul? Like, how are you really doing? I know how you, you, you know, I know how you're doing on Facebook because you're showing everybody your wins, right? Your highlight reels, but how, how are you really doing? And when they would come to the table and they would come together as a church, that is what was the most important piece of it. Because only one person can come in and do heart surgery on a person. And it's Jesus. And they made it about other stuff. They made it about other things. And, and he's saying, no, you missed it. This is a time to come together as a church and to do some soul searching and allow the Holy Spirit to look deep down inside of us. David prayed in the book of Psalms. He said, Lord, search my heart. There's things in there that I don't even know about. Search my heart. If there's anything wicked in there, if there's anything that's not of you, bring it to my consciousness. Bring it to my mind so that I can repent of it, so that I can turn from it. And I think what this tells us, what this verse tells us is that our life truly changes from, from the inside out. And a lot of times we start the year and we focus on the outside. In. But just for a few moments as, as we 
as we take communion together, I want you to open your heart, open your soul to the, to the Holy Spirit. This is a verse I wanted to share with you. Then we're gonna, we're gonna pray together. Romans 8, verse 27. This is what I think the Holy Spirit's, one of his greatest works. He searches our hearts. He knows the mind of the Spirit of God because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. So what am I supposed to do in 2023? I don't know, but God knows. Am I supposed to go left or right? Am I supposed to go to this school or that school? Am I supposed to stay with this person? I mean, or, or what am I supposed to get the gift of goodbye and leave them behind? I mean, there's a lot of questions. There's a lot of decisions. And the greatest thing we can do to start our year off is to take them all to God and say, Holy Spirit, I'm an open book. Speak to my heart. Show me where I need to go. Show me who I need to connect with. Show me who I need to disconnect with. Lord, I, I, I just want to do what you want me to do. And so I want you to grab that communion that's right there. You should have some in the pew in, in front of you there. And uh, we're going to take communion together. And so there's two little layers to this. There's the top one, and you can just pull that back. Um, I'm gonna have Austin. You mind coming up, brother? I'm gonna have him pray over the over the um, the bread for us. And so Jesus, during the meal, he just took a piece of bread and he said, "This bread is my body. It's gonna be broken for you. But in this broken body, there's healing, there's restoration, there's 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 nutrients for your soul. And so we we pray for us." Lord, I pray that as we take this bread that represents your body that you willingly gave up for us, I pray that it's more than just, just a moment, but that it resonates with every single one of us down to the soul. So as we take this bread, I pray that we can remember what you did for us. We can depend on you to guide us. We can believe you in the truths you left with us and the spirit that is dwelling in us. We thank you for your broken body so that we have access to you and the Father in heaven. Amen. Thank you. You can take the bread. Thank you. And then he took the cup. And he talked about how this, this cup was a, a new covenant, a new commitment, new, new contract that he's making with every Christian, every person that comes into agreement with him. And he says, this, this cup represents the blood that he shed. And that within that blood, there would be healing and there would be restoration and there would be things that we would need in our life that we could get no other way. So let's pray over this this morning. Father, we thank you so much for coming down, putting on a body of flesh and experiencing what it was like to hurt, to feel pain. To not only pour out yourself, but to empty yourself of the life that you had, of your own blood, so that we could come together in moments like this and receive that life.
and receive that healing and receive that hope. And so, Lord, we come to your table today grateful. And as we take this cup, Lord, I just pray that it would cleanse us from sin, things that we know about and things that we don't know about. Things that we've done and things that maybe we didn't do, that we should have done, that, that in this moment right now, 2023, that, Lord, that you can start, we can start with a clean slate today. We can be forgiven. We can be set free. We can live without guilt and shame of our past because there's power in this blood. And we thank you so much. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You can take the cup.